0: Welcome back to Newsweek Radio. I'm Jesse Edwards, and if you've been paying attention to the news lately coming out of Russia, and China for that matter, you're going to want to pay attention to our next guest, Calder Walton. He's the author of Spies, the Epic Intelligence War Between East and West. Calder, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you.
0: So I'm sure you were glued to the television over this last weekend, like we all were, wondering what the heck was going on with Wagner and this Prigozhin guy rushing into Moscow. We all thought we were going to see a bloody battle. What happened? Uh,
1: I think that you uh, used the right phrase, what the heck happened? And like everyone else, I'm trying to figure it out. It's uh, difficult to find up from down, I have to say. Um, There are precedents, it seems to me, of where we are. Uh, It has a lot of echoes with the 1991 failed coup that against Gorbachev uh, at the final stages of the Soviet Union, The coup, that coup looked like it didn't work, but about four or five months after the coup, the entire Soviet system collapsed. Is that uh, the direction that we're gonna be going in with Putin's regime? Could well be. We we don't know the future, of course, but there are different scenarios. I'll tell you what I'm worried about uh, as I've been looking at this. It seems to me that we're in very dangerous territory. A wounded dictator is a very dangerous dictator. And whatever else this weekend's events were, they have definitely uh, weakened and damaged Putin. Will he try to lash out to become the strong man that he professes to be, Ukraine being the obvious bogeyman, scapegoat for doing so? I think that is entirely logical and realistic, I'm afraid to say.
0: Can you speculate as to how you stop... uh convoy of 25,000 mercenaries without a shot fired Basically, I mean, I know there were shots fired, but it wasn't, there, there was no actual conflict. How, how, how did they just stand down at Putin? Call them and say, I'm gonna kill you all your families if you don't stop now?
1: That seems to be, according to some press reports over the weekend, that was certainly one of the the, the principal threats was uh, holding his family and the, the leaders of Wagner's uh, um, uh, leadership to, to hostage. Um, you would have thought that Bogosian would have already thought about that before launching this. and the key the key aspect is that you would have thought that he would have the backing of at least some of the oligarchs in Moscow and or within the security service, the FSB, the the, the one of the key power brokers in Moscow. You would have thought that he would have had uh, some some backing, maybe the backing that he thought he had, didn't materialize as events were unfolding. And that's what we witnessed as his his column of troops marched towards Moscow, but then turned back. Uh, I'm afraid we just don't know, but I will say that it seems to me entirely likely that U.S. intelligence and other Western intelligence agencies do know what was going on because one thing's for certain in a state of confusion when things are happening quickly, um, Forces on the ground tend to make mistakes about uh, secure communications, and that is a bonanza for foreign intelligence collection. So I would say that the NSA uh, and GCHQ, Britain's eavesdroppers, would have been all over this. So they will know <laughs> what was going on. We don't know, but we will know uh, in the in the course of time when um, more records when records become available.
0: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Now just backing up all the way to you know the the invasion of Ukraine in the first place, this has exposed Putin and russia as as definitely a, a much weaker force than a lot of us had kind of assumed. We thought they would sort of clean house a little bit quicker than they have. Uh, has it been worth it for Putin and Russia to even even try this?
1: Has it been worth it? It seems emphatically no. Um, now, I stick with, I agree entirely with what the director of the CIA, Bill Burns, William Burns said near the outset of the war. This is a war that Putin cannot afford to lose. He has nailed his reputation to it. And that is what makes me very worried about the the, the future. Given that scenario, I just don't, and, you know, the so-called exit exit roads or off ramps, I just don't see him being able to say, do you know what? This was a mistake. Uh, and actually, let's just forget about it. I just don't see that happening. So to answer your question, was it an, an absolute? Was it a mistake for Putin himself and Russia? Yes, emphatically. Was it to be expected that he made this mistake? And your, your question hits on something that I think is really important after 2016, with the U.S. with the Russian election meddling in the United States in the presidential election, there was a tendency in in some in some commentary to regard Russian intelligence as um, sort of able to pull off these extraordinary coups. And certainly 2016, without straying into the actual impact that the election meddling had, because that's essentially unquantifiable. But certainly we know from bipartisan um, you know investigations intelligence investigations that Russia had this policy to uh, interfere in the U.S election in 2016 unambiguously but actually if you look at Putin's rule over the last two decades he has presided over a succession of intelligence failures now he makes much of his Soviet KGB past, but if you scratch the surface, in fact, um, apparently, I'm told, reliably told by CIA um, people I interviewed um, for my new book, that in fact, um, his, his KGB career wasn't anything like the sort of um, the heroic one that he later proclaimed. I've been reliably told that he tried to become a KGB deep cover illegal, operating under deep cover overseas but he failed the language exam. So this is from the outset, not quite the intelligence man that he professes to be. Now he's presided over a succession of intelligence failures. Um, In 2010, a a network of Russian deep cover illegals was wound up uh, in the United States. Um, This was a humiliation for Putin. He has failed uh, in 2018. Uh, His military intelligence service spectacularly failed to assassinate uh, an MI6 spy uh, in Britain, Sergei Skripal. But the biggest mistake, the the one that he will go down in history for, is his uh, gamble uh, about Ukraine. And it seems quite clear already, even though we don't have uh, at least known uh, Russian defector to tell us what was going on, or indeed any Russian records yet, but I am confident that we will do one day, it seems clear that this was a colossal intelligence failure presided over by Putin himself. You will, your listeners will remember the bizarre National Security Council meeting um, on the eve of the invasion, where he essentially humili- one of the people he humiliated on TV was the director of his foreign intelligence service, the SVR, Sergei Nerishkin. Now, this is because Putin's form of government. Uh, as an autocrat and now dictator, has relied on intelligence that confirms his view of the world, not challenges it. This is straightforward echoes from the Soviet past, particularly with the the great Soviet, infamous Soviet dictator Stalin, who, as we can now see from records, only ever wanted to have intelligence that confirmed his existing worldview. Not that which challenged it. And it seems that it's a straightforward uh, continuum with Putin today. I would rank Putin's failure in Ukraine equivalent to Stalin's mishandling of intelligence before the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941, one of the worst intelligence failures in modern history.
0: Your new book, Spies: The Epic Intelligence War Between East and West uncovered a plot recently to assassinate somebody within the United States in Miami. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yes, um, this was uh, in relation to the uh, the deep cover illegals network that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, the person, who, the the CIA agent spy who who gave the U.S. authorities that intelligence about that network was uh, understandably relocated to the United States and um, given um, U.S. citizenship. And according to uh, press reporting, has been living in, in Florida. Now, when I discovered this, one thing became quite clear, that the significance of the story was not actually about the target himself, who has been trying to uh, get on with his own life and to keep away from the um, uh, the, the murderous uh, intentions of Putin's regime. Rather, the significance of the story was what Putin was prepared to do, cross this bright red line, which had existed throughout the Cold War and had up until the, apparently been, been in place up until this point in 2020. And that br- bright red line was that Russian intelligence and Soviet intelligence before it would not conduct assassinations on the US soil. Europe and Britain were different matters, but not in the US. And Putin, uh, we now know, was prepared to do exactly that. This, it seems to me, is, a, is, is a, it sort of fits into an escalation of Putin's risk-taking towards the West. The big question that I would like to uh, your colleagues who are investigative journalists, it's not my field, uh, I'm a mere historian, but it seems to me that um, the big questions that are that are need resolving from this story is what were the actual uh, actions and 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 responses taken by um, the U.S. government? Were they robust enough? Were they um, were they adequate to to give Putin a real sense of a bloody nose when he was prepared to do this? What was our response? My un- my understanding was that our response was was, was inadequate. Some some expulsions of diplomatic um, oh. officials, uh, intelligence officers undercover. That's my understanding. What kind of um, assassination are we talking was,
0: about here? Uh, like a polonium sandwich situation? Was this person I, in witness protection or anything? I,
1: it, th- he wasn't in witness protection. Uh, I do not know what the nature of the assassination was. Hmm. Um, so... It was all I know for certain is that it was in late stage planning um, and was about to commence. But I do not know the nature of the assassination. My understanding is that the response uh, from first the Trump administration and then the Biden administration was um, uh, less than robust. Let's put it that way. Uh, But this is an area for investigative journalists to investigate. And I hope your colleagues are going to do so. The big question for me is if that is the case and if. It was less than uh, a robust response. Did that um, less than response, res- robust response, feed into Putin's risk calculation about Ukraine? That I think is the huge question that that needs to be really studied.
0: So, what's Putin's endgame here with Ukraine? Uh, is he just going to declare victory and and pull out <sighs> eventually, like we did in Afghanistan? Or
1: I I don't see him doing that. I really don't. I I don't, as I said, uh, I I I agree with what Bill Burns uh, said, which is that this is a war that Putin cannot lose. Now, quite what losing means is in the eye of the beholder. So, uh, of course, in the kind of Kremlin doublespeak, where up is down and so on and so forth, um, you can probably make a victory out of a defeat. But um, I, once he's gone so far as you know from the outset to say that Ukraine doesn't doesn't exist. As as an independent nation, I don't really see where the, the the middle ground for compromise is. You know, the analogies that come to my mind is some sort of frozen conflict, like perhaps Korea uh, in the 1950s, um, where both sides are unhappy with the result, but it is at least a result. I, that's where history would suggest we're going. Um, but then again, events are moving so quickly, as you said in, in the outset, Putin may well get um, swept aside in the coup or indeed assassinated. I have my own misgivings about what would come next um, it, it, for Russia and what that means for the US, but that is certainly one possibility.
0: You, you, I'm assuming you, you, you'll you say that he's going to be replaced by somebody even worse.
1: That's indeed my fear, is that in, the the... One would hope. Look, we would hope that someone like Navalny would somehow get out of prison, or Vladimir Karamurza uh, and and come to the rescue, and a true, a true opposition leader. Uh, I, within the bounds of what is realistic um, possibilities, I'm afraid I don't see that happening. I see it more likely that someone from the same group uh, that Putin already surrounds himself with will take power and these are the the, the so-called men of force. Um, If we end up with Putin being overthrown and somebody like Nikolai Patrashev on his Security Council, another KGB uh, old hand, uh, similarly involved in um, borderline mafia activities in the 1990s, if someone like Patrushev takes over or indeed the head of the FSB at the moment, um, we're going to be in exactly the same situation as, as Putin. They they share his out his outlook about Ukraine. They ha- they come from the same background, um, and I and I I fear there won't be much difference. It might even be worse because they 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 may well have clearer uh, heads uh, on their shoulders uh, in terms of their military strategy. Um, so that's my uh, I'm afraid rather pessimistic, uh, but I fear realistic view on what might come next uh, after Putin.
0: Do you think like in the information age, are decisive victories possible in modern warfare?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, we haven't had a, the the answer, the simple answer is we don't know. We haven't had a land war in Europe, uh, you know, since the second world war. Uh, So we are in new territory because, this war, albeit in the new modern digital age, as you've just suggested, it, at the same time, it has so many echoes with past wars. Uh, who would have thought, you know, three years ago that we would be having a, a, uh, a war with, with, with tanks? And, you know, the sights that we're seeing come out, coming out of Ukraine, this, the same places, uh, for goodness sake, as, as the Second World War. Some of the footage looks like it's just out of the Second World War. So, although our world has changed beyond recognition in the last two decades thanks to the digital revolution, this war feels very twentieth century. So, I, I, I'm I'm confident to say that we'll be looking at a twentieth century uh, outcome uh, in one way or another.
0: Pivoting over to China for just a moment and and zooming out to the the, the global scene, uh, are we on the precipice of World War Three?
1: Well, um, I I look at it in a slightly different way, which is um, a debate, uh, at least, uh, that was had two years ago, three years ago, in policymakers of, are we in a new Cold War? And my answer to that is, in terms of intelligence and national security, absolutely, we're in a new Cold War with China. And we should all, as your your question suggests, we should all hope that it remains cold and does not turn hot. Um, I, I... my, my own view is that the same circumstances that, that dictated the last century's Cold War, mutually assured destruction, that's to say that both sides have nuclear weapons capable of incinerating the planet, sure. that still holds today with the United States and China. So we're still um, determined by MAD, MAD, mutually assured destruction. So just as Reagan said, a nuclear war cannot, cannot be won and therefore must never be fought. I, I I strongly still believe that's the case with China.
0: What do you make of these cat and mouse games down there in the uh, South China Sea? Just Is this just uh, playful provocation or is this something we should really uh, be concerned about? Because it, th- it seems to be escalating.
1: It is escalating. And to what end goal, I don't know. Um, you're absolutely right, it's escalating. This is both sides uh, testing each other, um, both sides pushing. This is China, uh, as, as they see it, looking to contain U.S. influence in Southeast Asia. And the U.S., we see it as trying to contain China's influence on the global stage to challenge us and, and supplant the, the U.S. So both sides, in a sort of classic way, just like the Soviet Union in the 20th century during the Cold War, both sides were convinced that they were trying to c- contain the other. And the same is true with China today. So what, are, what is the end game of those provocations? There seem to be provocations at this point. But within those provocations, um, there are um, illustrations of China's grand strategy, the intelligence apparatus that, that China is marshalling in the South China Sea and then closer to home with the news that China is uh, apparently opening eavesdropping uh, collection base in Cuba. Uh, This is all part of uh, the Chinese Communist Party's overall grand strategy to collect as much intelligence as possible on the U.S. and really the the, the rest of the world um, with a view to supplanting the U.S. as number one on the world stage.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. So why does Biden send Secretary of State Blinken over to China to meet with Xi Jinping just to come home and turn around and call him a dictator? Doesn't it seem like they're contradicting themselves at this point if diplomacy was actually the end
1: goal? It certainly does, I'm, I'm afraid to say. I don't know what was, that does not seem to be a, a, a good uh, communications policy on the White House between that one, between Blinken's trip and Biden's um, messaging. I think that Blinken's trip to China is absolutely the right thing to do. Again, as history shows, that it's precisely at those moments of crisis when negotiations are most important. Um, Either overt, like Blinken did, or covert. I would also be confident to say that when when one day records come out about this time that we're living through right now, we'll find out that there were um, back-channel communications going between the White House and Beijing, um, even as tensions ratcheted up. But to your question, it certainly was an unedifying spectacle to see um, Biden um, say that immediately after um, some bridge building by his secretary of state.
0: Well, Calder Walton, thank you so much for joining us. His book is Spies, the Epic Intelligence War Between East and West. Hey, thanks for your time. And we'll be sure to have you back as these new stories develop.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: And that was Calder Walton, author of Spies, The Epic Intelligence War Between East and West. If you like this conversation, be sure to head over to iTunes and give us your five-star rating with a kind review. We'd appreciate it. For Newsweek Radio, I'm Jesse Edwards.